Good evening, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm your host, Mona, and my host as usual, Aiden. Hi, guys. Finally, good to have the Premier League back, what we've been waiting for the past few months for, you know, keeping the podcast going, keeping the the energy going, and hoping that, you know, Arsenal would come back with a bang for us and surprise us. Yes, as you said, back to action. But I think before <laughs> everything even got underway, the minute the, the lineup got, uh, you know, put out on by Arsenal on Twitter. Then I think the the first sort of <laughs> light Arsenal meltdown started because immediately the lineup already looked, you know, not what we say we're expecting. If you think of what we've been seeing in in you know those two friendly games as well as what we've seen in also with the training uh, videos that Arsenal have on YouTube. But I mean, for me personally, it was somewhat confusing. I don't know what your take was in. Uh... You know, I, I looked at the lineup and I was like, you know, what, what, what type of game plan are we going for? Because it, it seemed like at one stage there was a 4-4-2, which, um, you know, seemed a bit confusing. Like thinking that you would try to win the midfield battle but and, and, and going with, with, with two attackers. Yeah. And for, for, for me, it just didn't seem like, you know, it was the, it was the best formation to go with but that being said it seemed to have worked it treat for you know the first few minutes I know Man City you know were coming at us but Arsenal in the beginning seemed to have come out a bit fresh out of the blocks yeah because I mean they, uh, we actually looked like we had controlled or contained the game or you know almost like I had them uh, you know almost like dictated like our sort of pace of, of play and that and then uh, Almost like it was like against the run of play with Xhaka because I first thought he got tripped and then from the different angle then I first thought he got he somehow collided with Kuldozi and that's what caused it. But then when they showed from another like probably third or fourth angle, did you guys see his ankle buckle ending when he probably slipped on the slick pitch? And I mean it looked like quite a bad um, twist. And I mean when he went down, I mean you could see the way he was like eating the turf. Also, you knew it was not you know good. And then, almost like a, it was around about the 15th minute, that is when Arsenal start kind of losing, already also having to make the change with Sebeos and having to come on. But then, it's like 15 minutes onwards, it was like, you started seeing that, that guyly side of Man City starting to come out with, you know, really knocking the ball about, starting to find these little gaps. Of course, okay, we were nullifying them to a degree, but then it's like bad went to worse when... Pablo Marín got injured when he pulled up with, with a, a pulled calf muscle. Yeah, and it just seemed like at that point, I'm not saying Arsenal were, were setting the world alight, but it seemed that there was a, a certain game plan that was there, like we spoke about in last week's podcast of how we think that Arsenal should just have to weather the storm, you know, try to defend. And Marín was doing quite well. There was a, a he, he doesn't seem scared. He gets involved like that foul with Raheem Sterling. You know, he, he committed a foul, but he went in. But it was just okay. I know there's a bit dangerous spot outside the box, but you know, he didn't allow Sterling to maybe get the better of him and cause more danger. It was a clever foul to create. Mm. Yeah. So of course, for me, that was also the moment, which was almost like a turning point for me because the minute David Luiz came on, that sort of nerves. You know, it was like uh, heightened for me because when I think of what Arteta said before kickoff, I don't know if you've seen it, 
But when he was asked, like, why is David Luiz not starting? And he just said something down the lines of, from what he saw the past two weeks, he didn't feel that this was a sort of game for for David Luiz. And now it's like you're going from that sort of comment and then you see uh, your, your, like your main centre back on the evening, he gets injured and now David Luiz has to step up. Yeah, and, and for me, Maria and... Um... Um, and Mustafi did did well together. I mean, you know, they they're not obviously the most rock solid partnership out there. We haven't seen them for a few minutes, but they seem to have been manning the defense well. But you know, with a game going on, where we sit in, I started you know laying the dominance. For me, the majority of the team were anonymous because look, Willock faded. Also halfway in that, that first half because he went from you know running and, and you know getting into little spaces throughout the game throughout the first part of the game to to somebody that was just almost like a spectator and then yet Aubameyang who of course barely contributed especially in that first half because he was almost like being starved starved of the ball then of course where we did see Charles uh, Man City were somewhat vulnerable was every time we played the route one ball. But uh, as as quick as Nketiah is, he does not have that physical strength to, you know, to really hustle and bustle these uh, centre backs. Because I really thought Laporte and um, Garcia, the, that youngster of Man City, I really thought they could have been, you know, got it. Because I was expecting every time you could see they were panicking that that long ball came over, but you could see Nketiah just does not have that sort of, say, Lacazette strength that you need to burst through the middle. I mean, what, oh, what is the reason for them not starting Lacazette and Ketia over Lacazette or even Martinelli for that matter? I mean, I would have given Martinelli a chance with Aubameyang. He would have two speed demons up front if you wanted that or if you wanted a more kind of technical pace partnership. That's where Lacazette would have come in. But I think I got surprised when Ketia started, actually. And then, of course, you know, with, with myself thinking, you know, just see that half time when <laughs> you stay 0-0. Zero, zero. In comes a ball, like the brainer. And I, honestly, I still don't know, even <laughs> hey, 24, almost like 24 hours later, I'm still trying to fathom what went through his head because he tries to almost like block the ball and then turn his head towards the ball. And of course, the, the ball with that weird spin on the wet pitch, you know, kind of almost like leg breaks past his body. And then the ball is in Sterling's stride. And I mean, that, I mean, you know, when he has a, a chance, even point blank, he's going to blast it in the net. And, I mean, he gave Leno no chance. Why I not? think I, I could have been critical, but I think Leno maybe could have come out because Sterling still took his opportunity to line himself up and then whacked it in. But, you know, I'm not I'm not saying he could have saved it, but, I mean, if he had to just maybe mm. be off his line a bit quicker, could have stopped it. But, you know, before that, it could have been a few goals to the good already for City. I think Leno was pulling off some... Breathtaking saves in the even in the first half, and then of course I thought now okay we now made the two subs early on in the first half. Half time we could see some sort of change being made, <laughs> you know, just to get some sort of like other approach in the game because look it was already now with being one 0 done it's gonna come uh, come down to a game where we're gonna have to really chase and press. And then I mean the more you're thinking down that line of okay now this is now a new game plan new approach for the second half. And then David Luiz does his infamous tugbacks and penalties <laughs> and red card. I think that is his 
third or fourth penalty for the season. I recall one against um, Liverpool. I recall one against Chelsea. We also got sent off. I recall one against Watford. And now this one. So it's four penalties and he's like third or second red card already, or third red card probably. So, yeah, um, I know we discussed him last week, but I do really think now, you know, we, we Chelsea got the better end of the deal with with Arsenal, this one. I mean, I thought you'd add some leadership to the team, some some sort of things to the dressing room as well. But, I mean, he's the one that's making all these horrific blunders. Yeah, and I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, of course, steps up and dispatches the penalty to Null City. And at that point, you think game over. You know, I don't know how you felt, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't see us getting back into the game. I mean, we struggled to, to do anything... In the um, when we had 11 men, I mean, 10 against 11 versus Man City and 2 0 down, I'm sure there's no way coming back. So, Arteta made three changes. Uh, he brought on Ains uh, with Niles, Lacazette, and Nelson on for Guendouzi, Nketiah, and Wallach. Um, 82nd minute, of course, Edison then takes out Eric Garcia. And I mean, I wish that Youngs also a speedy recovery because that was one hell of a connection to the goalkeeper because, I, I mean, it was almost like a, a blackout moment for Edison because, I mean, the way he just went through player ball and everything. Yeah, it was quite a hectic knock. And it, you know, took a, took a hefty chunk out of the game and you just hope a, a speedy recovery for him. I mean, some like the people in my household, there's not all regular football watchers even were in shock when that happened. So it was quite a, a big knock on the youngster. And of course, with with City, then of course made the changes, and they were still trying to, you know, uh, fix him up or see that because I think he was unconscious for quite a while as well. But then of course Phil Foden came on in that time, and, and <laughs> Sergio Aguero and them. But for me, by then I still thought to myself. I mean, okay, I know you said. You had kind of <laughs> like the two, no, it was over for you, but you know, I had like this <laughs> delusional of hope because I thought it was like, okay, it's 10 v 10, it's 11 minutes to go on the clock, we're still a chance. And then, I mean, <laughs> it was all like watching 10 v 10, but it was like so same old, same old because it was like with clinical precision, they dissected our midfield, cut up our defense, and then bang, bang, go. <laughs> Yeah, well, that 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 final goal of this was really um, shocking. Like not shocking, but you could see Arsenal the legs cut in. But they were like two players against like five Arsenal defenders, and they just made a quick one-two goal. And I mean, for me, when the, when the start the, the stats came out, it really reminded me of Emery-like stats because what was it? Eighteen shots on on target for for City zero for Arsenal. And then in total, it was, what was it, 19 to 2 or 3, did you mention? Oh. Uh, uh, in that region of the goal, not on target. Oh, uh, no, it was very little, actually. Let me see if I can just have a look at the... It's actually, nine, yeah, 18-3. <laughs> Shot on target, 12 versus 0. Possession, 67 versus 33. Yeah, we were, we were leading in the red cards department, though. And offsides, I mean, that counts. I mean, you look at Edison, his gloves can be packed and sealed and so <laughs> look brand new. Not even a, a 
to a Nico glitch on the glove. <laughs> but I mean, back to the tactics of this game. I think, like, of course, our personal opinions, but uh, I still think we we kind of lost our way in midfield because you you keep or we kept it basic in the beginning, but then it's like when City started plugging up all those little holes that we were finding, you know, early on in the game. Then it's like we had no clue because there were, I don't know how many times I've, I saw Kieran Tierney with the ball or Bellerin with the ball and they would run towards the halfway line and all of a sudden City start plugging up those little gaps and, and, and setting these little uh, pressing traps for them. And then you'll see they stop, they turn around and then they go back to the keeper and then of course that move is over and done with because City have already found all the, you know, all the pockets of space now shut that, that off for us. And then, of course, you see the ball in the middle of the park. Guidozzi, again, also running with the ball. You think, okay, he's going to not drift through further, carry that ball. And then, of course, he sees his options start to close up, and then you just see him stop, and it's going back. So, you, you don't have that little momentum and, and or that sort of play is it, that's going to just drive you forward, because, look, we were nullifying City for the first sector, as I said, 10-15 minutes. But, look, that's where the character comes in of, say, someone like Kevin De Bruyne or Marius, whatever. They want to go forward and Sterling even. They want to go forward and they want to attack you. They want to hurt you. Yeah, it's... Uh, the, we spoke about the midfield battle last weekend. I mean, you know, I think with with, with Xhaka going off, I feel part we also really light in the midfield when with Sebayos and, and only um, Guendouzi in the midfield. You know, you expect a packed midfield you don't go to the Etihad and play that much of expansive open game. Like I said, I mean, you know, we have Pepe, a 70-odd million player, not around, to, like, not on the pitch. We have, you know, Martinelli, on the, not on the pitch, rather playing Ketia. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, play a compact game and try to hit City on the counter-attack. But it was like we were far too open. The midfield, like, was losing the battle consistently. And... Like you said, every time City got the ball off us, it was almost like a free counter-attack every time. I mean, it's frustrating because you can see, also like like with um, David Luiz's red card, you can actually see the, almost like the pain in, in, in Atena. <laughs> like that, that plan is already out of the window because it was already going to be a mountain to climb, you know, at one or down at, at, at City. But then it, uh, it became like Mount Everest when he got sent off and, and he 2 0 down. Then. Yeah, that at 2 0 down, you just, like I said, I, I didn't have any hope. I mean, I know it's, it's bad, but I mean, I, I, I just wanted that we might get humiliated. And we almost yeah, did exactly. it, wasn't for Leno. Like, he, the saves he was pulling, the shots he was taking, I was like, I don't think Leno will be at Arsenal for long if things keep up the way it's going. Because you can see another top club. You know, maybe coming in to, to snap him up. I mean, I, mean, I don't know what clubs I mean, are looking for a keeper. How can the powers that be not see that Arteta needs help getting <laughs> altering this defense? Because it, it's like we, we've dealt now with this way. Oh, look, we've had now a manager pro, uh, like post Wenger, but it's like now we almost like oh, Arteta's left with, with the scraps now and having to make do with it now till the end of the season because there's no way we're going to. Get us out, out of this now. If we cannot get some sort of balance or whatever going in the defense. But yeah, yeah, but but let's also look at it in a positive light. You know, we, we, we said we take probably maximum one point in this game. So I guess, you know, the performance like here we spoke about the performance for us was more of a, a eye, uh a, a saw in the eye than anything else. Yeah. Because 
we did expect City to you know probably get to three points. We were going to the Etihad, but what we did expect was Arsenal to actually give more than what they just you know it was really a, a, a subpar performance. I mean, Wolves beats them at their home ground. I mean, other teams give a better fight, but. Arsenal just seem to lose 3-0 every time we play City these days. It seems to be a formality almost. Yeah, and I mean, look at that, that, that one shocking set they mentioned also last night about Arsenal last winning an away game in January 2015 in the Premier League against the top my, six. My biggest gripe, and I know it's... I do, like, I know, are you done with, with the City game? Yeah, yeah. Or you still more points? Like, no, no. Like, but for me, and I mentioned it slightly to yesterday, well, I didn't go too much in detail, but what, what, what angers me is that if you look at Arsenal's team, go to prior Wenger era, you look at Wenger era, Invincibles, you move on from there, you got to wonder how does a team of that quality, of that stature, and you know, not, not like these Vieira and Co were on massive voyages, but how does players of that stature, Perez, Vieira, Ljungberg, all of them, you know, eventually leave, but how do you not get replacements for them or allow the club still to grow from strength to strength to strength to strength from that? Because it, 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 it's so sad to see what Arsenal has become because of not building properly on, on things. Because, I mean, you had a world-class team who were beating giants in, in Europe. I and mean, we were a giant ourselves. But it's like we just went from like, declined over the years. You look at Aubameyang coming to Arsenal when he did. I mean, surely they could have signed him the same period they signed Sanchez and Ozil. I mean, a few seasons at Dortmund, you bring him in afterwards and say, okay, you're going to lead the line and Giroud can can be your second fiddle or you guys can alternate. But it seems like Arsenal just don't have any succession plan. And it showed once Wenger was in charge and once he left. I mean, Arsenal looked like a joke at the moment. No, not trying to rant anything, but like compared to what they once were, and it's like, how do you rebuild this? Where do you start? I mean, my biggest gripe was I think the club, you know, as much as they promised everything, because look, if you think of the sort of promises that Gazidis and them were making about, you know, like over the next five years after the move to the Emirates, we'll be able to compete with the Barcelonas, the Real Madrid's, and, and Bayern Munich's. And I don't see anything like it. And I just think for any way for us to actually go forward, and I know I'm harping on this quite a lot over weeks and that, but I still think if we want to really go forward as a club, there has to be a massive overall from top to bottom. I mean, even if it, it means, say, Stan Kroenkin and selling off the club or whatever, and rather giving it, you know, uh, selling it to somebody that that's, has almost like football at heart, that will... See to it that they, you know, bring in the best because it's no use you bring in, say, the Raul Salnegis and, and things like that, or say Edu even. Uh, but uh, of course, I don't want to throw Edu under the bus here. But if you want to run a, a top football club, you need the best of everything, whether you like it or hate. Because I just think between board, CEOs, and and um, managerial or coaching head coach, there is a big gulf, and I think that. That is where you see how Chelsea are getting things done. You see how things are done at Liverpool right now, which was not done, say, prior to the Klopp era. And and also, like, the way City get things done, if they want something, they go get him. It's not like bickering and whatever overpriced. At, we're at the stage in football where 
there's so much money being thrown around there. Why not go get the best when you can? Because now it's like every time what, what I notice what the club is doing, and it, it's now gone even past like the Sully, so even prior to Sully being appointed, it's like we're always having a type of CEO that's trying to do more cost cutting than making us competitive. And I think that is where the other CEOs of the other clubs, that is where they are taking it to the next level. Yeah, it's we we falling solely behind with yeah. with um behind the curve with the, with the other clubs. I mean, you know, it's 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 quite shocking that uh, like of Sheffield United and Wolves are sitting where they are and and we battling to to find our way back into the top six, even let alone top four. I mean, have, have we fallen that far behind? And like I said, you know, you don't want to point fingers, but it started with um the the top structure. I mean. You, know, you mentioned to me that Guardiola and Klopp were interested in the role at Arsenal at one stage, but you know they just were too loyal to Wenger because Wenger was so-called, you know, helped them to get where they were. But I mean, look at look at look at these coach, those two coaches down to the teams they took over. Liverpool were by not by far uh, from a from a title-winning side or a Champions League-winning side, but. Look at the difference a coach can do and spending your budget properly. I mean, Sadio Mane, I, I laughed at it first, to be honest, when they said they signed Sadio Mane for 30 million from Southampton. You know, you're thinking why they, like, you know, they're spending 30 million on a player from the Premier League from Southampton. But look what he does. We spent 70 million on a player and look at the outcome. Then they went to go sign Salah the next season. Then they went to go get Van Dyke. Then they went to get Allison. So it's like they had their plans and they went on. Their scouts are probably way ahead of everybody really watching, saying, okay, we need to plug that gap. This is who we're going to go for. What is Arsenal doing to that? They, we need centre backs, but we signed Pepe. But, you know, with, with what we're not, you know, this whole thing that we're not talking about with the club and that, I just think, look, when, when that stadium move came about, all Arsenal fans were on the same, you know, on the same level, we, we were all in agreement that yes, it's going to be tough going from 38,000 stadium to a 61,000 all seater. We look, it's going to be the, the debt stadium debt is going to now cost something. And, and since we have now owner that wants to be almost like self sustaining model, the club was going to have to fit the bill, Arsenal Football Club. And then look, we, we lost all these fantastic players that we had. Some that were coming in that looked like they, you know, were just about to eat their prime and, and a, a super period for Arsenal, even in the new stadium. All of a sudden, the stadium that comes around, it's also growing. We start losing all our play, like you know, because look what Nasri ended up being at City, what our Sanya and, and Klichy and Kolator and them all, and even that little spell that Adebayo had, that sort of period, they were now taking. Us, it, was like, it was like stripping us bare. And yeah. then everybody was like just leaving us. And this is where, for me, the club also let the fans down big time because you can't tell me between now and, and, and uh, what was it, four or five years ago, where that stadium debt was now just about you know paid off and other money can be pumped in. And now all of a sudden, yeah, we, we're, doing, we're paying this in installments and that. And it, how much does the interest not work if you, you're not buying a, a player flat out? Because yeah, we used to make fun of Barcelona doing that. Yeah, and now we've gone to a point where, like, the money we are always trying to, you know, count every little penny. 
But I mean, everybody wants to be earning so and so much. Everybody wants to drive this fabulous car. The stadium gets, you know, the, the club wants to maybe big it up online and stuff like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, if we are not going to pull our fingers out, we are going to be a club that's, you know, dangling between 8th and 12th every season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a scary thought. I mean, we, we're not signing the players we need to. We're not, you know, Mesut Ozil, he's a 300 pound per week player, 300,000 pound per week player, 350 or whatever it's on currently. But why is he not making an impact in a game? So I see sitting at home. It's... I mean, that, look, that was also now one of my next topic of discussions that we had. It's become now again another Ozil debacle because you have again, as you said, highest paid player at the club. And now it's like, uh, what did Arteta say after the game? Uh, it wasn't a, it, it was more a tactical decision. How many times are we going to have this talk? I mean, <laughs> it happened with Wenger. It happened in uh, the latter parts of Wenger. It happened now with, with Una Emery. And now it's happening with Mikel Arteta because why can't they just either call him out for what what is the fault or whatever? But stop with this. It's a tactical decision. If you look at somebody, I mean, I, I also in a way I hate harping on it, but you look at Kevin De Bruyne. That's a guy he can come, he'll play rain or shine, home or away, whatever you say, whatever. He will give it his all, and that is the sort of mindset, that's the sort of player that should be in. You know that that model model of player should be wearing an Arsenal shirt, and that's the sort of player we should aim to get. Somebody like that, who plays with his heart on his sleeve throughout the game. That's how you look at, at say somebody like that, that uh, Grealish guy or that Madison at Leicester City. These are guys that that give their you know they play their asses off for their team and for the cause, whether their team is flying high or uh, you know or riding low, but they still give their all. But but you got to look at it and say to yourself also, you know, as much as also, like, I always get upset at Wenger, it's like the board's lack of ambition, man. Like, that's the that's one of the biggest problems. I mean, you look at Man City, right? You know, they're they powerhouse. When they got that, Roberto Mancini, they won the league, then eventually they weren't happy. You know, you bring in um, Pellegrini, also win the league, then eventually, you know, he gets sacked for Guardiola, he came to come and replace him. But... You look at these players that came, the David Silvers, the Aguero's, all of them. I mean, Aguero came as a bargain buy as well to Man City, like was it 30 million or something. But you, you look at it and saying, you know, because they're winning stuff season after season, like we used to, you're keeping your key players. I'm sure we could have kept a Robin Van Persie, a Fabregas, a Nazi. But look at most of them that, that, you know, the players you just mentioned, how many of them you can't, you could even manage to give them a, a testimonial because they're clocking up almost close to 10 years at the club. Yes. I mean, David Silva, I mean, you know, they're like, yeah, he went for money. He finished career there. Yaya Torre as well. He finished his career at City, basically. Um, Aguero is also looking he's going that route. But it's just because they're successful and winning things all the time. You keep players happy. I mean, like I said, we probably would have kept a lot of our guys if we were showing more drive, more ambition from the board, saying, Venga, okay, you know, top four is not good enough. We want maybe a, a few trophies here and there, but top three or top two or challenge for the title till at least, you know, a month remaining or something like that. But, you know, you would have kept your Van Persies, your Fabregas, your, your Nasteries probably... Um, even Adebayo was, was was clocking up goals at Arsenal, and 
you 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 grow your team like that. I mean, look at City. You have exits and entries coming in, but your 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 Aguero's, your Silvers, your Yatoris were always there. And then you have Sterling coming in a fresh, like you know, pair of legs to play around these top quality guys. You bring in the brain and now it's taking, you know, charge of it. You know, there's no excuse for Arsenal why they couldn't sign these guys because at one stage, you know, Aguero was 30 million, Asala is 36 million, Mane is 30 million, but we spent 70 million on Pepe, then we say we don't have money. I'm not saying Pepe couldn't come good, but you could have bought a Premier League ready player that can just slot in, but. Arsenal just seems to be spending money in the wrong places. 30 million on Mustafi as well. Yes, he's coming off in a good run of form, but you know, if you can use a 30 million elsewhere, and Xhaka, for example, Kante was 30 million, we signed Xhaka. So money is there, it's just used incorrectly. Because I think like we've got like a group of players, like for the majority, who are they've got this big ego to them. You see them, you know, the way they start almost like they uh, Champions League quality, and yet when you watch them on the field, it's like a team with no ambition and no direction. Because then they look lost when they, you know, when they really have to go toe to toe with what I would call a big dog team. Then you can see how they that, that you know how vulnerable they really are. Because then they, you know, it's almost like a wake up call that you know you're not all that. Yeah, you see them strutting themselves and stuff after they beat the. No disrespect, like to a like a lower leagues, like you know, they, what do they call it um, when they flat track bullies. You know, they'll be strutting at training, making jokes and stuff like that. But you know, when 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 after they get humbled like this and they, they walk off the pitch, their heads down. It's, it just comes to their mindset, their mentalities. Cut out the errors, you don't you don't lose this game. And I feel sorry for it, like you said. You know, he he made a tactical decision to leave David Luiz out. You forced to bring him in, and I don't know if the guy, <laughs> I mean, he did it on purpose to, to spite our data, but the mistakes he made was like, you know, ridiculous. But you did also mention how he struggled against Brentford as well. But, you know, what I didn't get also that, that, especially leading up to the red card, I mean, you can see the danger. I mean, and also, but it's, it's like a, a disease that runs through the old team where. There's no communication like saying, look, there's a guy going to run free. This one is... And it's like you can just see the whole thing unfolding like a horror movie. And it's like, dude, watch behind you. There's somebody coming. And by the time that guys are gone... And I mean, look, Maris is not the quickest. I mean, he's like over like three or four steps. He, he can't go past you. But if you keep up... I mean, the way David Luiz was like literally gas trying to catch up... <laughs> I wonder if David Luiz maybe didn't have a, you know, during lockdown, maybe just lost himself, like in terms of fitness, never kept himself up to shape as he was supposed to. Because, you know, City came out the traps flying, like you mentioned. We, like you said, we seemed gassed like a boxer in the, the latter rounds. Yeah, we had now, you know, going to the game, we had what two friendlies arranged. City had only games arranged against the B team and the youth team, and that was it. But I mean, you can't really call it the game because they were not really pushing themselves to the max. And yet, when they came out against us, it looked like they had like what three or four top games <laughs> on the, belt, uh, the belt already. Yeah, it's another way fixture for us now. Next, next game. It's again, it is Brighton we play next. Yeah. So I mean, it's going to be a challenge as usual because look, under uh, that Potter, that's his coach at Brighton. He's quite a, a guily character because, uh, I don't know if you recall, he's somebody, 
he was at that, that, that Oscar Soons that we played in the, the Europa that one year, where he can, like, he likes playing uh, Route 1 football, and he likes also playing one-touch football, so he's always, like, keeping you guessing. So, I mean, that's not going to be a, a simple game coming up the weekend, and, and look, they've got also some players that are quite creative, like, on the ball. So, I mean, it's not going to be, you know, walk in the park. Of course... I think where we would have been way more intimidated was if we played in front of a packed Brighton Hove Stadium. But I think now with the, with the you know with the lockdown and and playing in an empty stadium, I think it also is gonna you know be a fine balance between the two. But as, uh, you know, uh, my personal take is I think we can still edge it. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. Yeah. I also thought against City we would enjoy playing against an empty crowd in a way from home, but it seemed like maybe Arsenal needed the crowd more than City did. So, yeah, Brighton always seems to be a tricky away fixture. Um, have we beaten them away from home yet? I think, they, I think there was are, some weird record where they they unbeaten against us. I think in that, what you know, just mentioned, I think in the, at their stadium, I think they unbeaten against yeah, us. Yes, because they beat us 2-1, I recall, when a, when a Balmain still scored against it. And then last season, we drew one all against them. So, you know, it's uh, we need to... <laughs> As embarrassing as it sounds, we need to end our duck against Brighton. And, yeah, I think we only probably managed to beat them once. In total, I think, in the Premier League. Because I recall, we lost this season. And last season, we drew. And I think we could have drew or lost <laughs> the, the return leg at the Emirates. So, it's gonna not going to be an easy game for us. I wonder what Arteta is going to do tactically now. You know, his back line, his, I don't know, his centre-back. Who, who does he play? And I saw, I don't know if you listeners saw that joke where they said um, Brighton's going to appeal the red card for David Luiz. I mean. <laughs> but I mean, look now, next game for us, I believe it's on the 25th in the league after the Brighton game. Because I think prior to that, it's well, FA Cup weekend. Because I think one of the weekends coming up was going to be like an FA Cup weekend where we will now probably face, oh yeah, Sheffield United, yeah. It's on the 28th of June. So, yeah, they, 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 that's going to be a tough game. And I mean, they, they always seem up for it against most big teams that come to their stadium. I just hope, maybe hope that they focus on the, the league more than anything. But they actually got robbed quite hectically yesterday. I don't know if you saw over the, the incident. Oh, it was quite bad. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, with, with that, Upcoming game against Brighton, I think it's going to be quite tough if you think of it because from what I have read so far, I think Pablo Marie is probably out for a couple of weeks. I mean, I haven't read another full injury thing, but it says I'm like uh, early July. And same with Granit Xhaka because I think it is an ankle twist. And I think I don't think you really want to you know put that much pressure on it in, whether it's training or in an actual match. So... I think the squad will have to be, you know, evenly rotated. And especially now with the away games, I mean, I think Arteta needs to also look long and hard at that team and, and see where he can correct things. Because, look, they really let him down yesterday. You just need a bunch of battlers in the midfield to try to sort that issue out. I mean, you can't go there playing 4-4-2. I just think now it's about grinding out the points. Maybe try to get a team that's going to try to keep Brighton on the counter. Because I know Brighton will probably... You know, look to play that game with us, so maybe we need to come there and try to eat them on the counter attack. Yeah, I think it's going to be a case of you know us taking the the advantage because 
I mean, I just hope Torreira is fit because look, I don't know how long there's nothing really. I mean, I just checked on the sports app. There's nothing really of about his uh, injury situation. But I mean, I just hope he gets a clean bill of health and he can play because I think it should be a game that's all set up for him at Brighton. Yeah, like nice, scrappy, tough, and you know maybe. I like I said, we'll come back into the side and if a Martinelli or Riz Nelson will get a nod as well. I think in attack, I think we do need some sort of, uh, you know, other sort of option because I just think we played almost like too much within ourselves, being so scared of City, where I think, you know, you need to let somebody like Riz Nelson and Pepe loose down the wings and maybe even spearhead Aubameyang down the middle. Maybe it was a, a bit of a, you know, not uh, there's a, maybe a bad thing that um, Arteta knew Guardiola and the City team so well. It's almost like he played within himself because he knew the damage that they could cause if unleashed. So, you know, maybe this will be better moving forward where he doesn't know as much of a team as he did with um, of Man City. Yeah. So with that, we end of the podcast. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Take care, guys. Bye. Enjoy, guys, the football this weekend. <laughs>